Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. What's up, what's up, what's up, how are we doing, how are we doing, and welcome to episode number 36 of the Banner Banter Podcast. I am your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How's everyone doing? Hope everyone had a great weekend. I had a great weekend. Thanks so much for asking. The Boston Celtics have clinched home court advantage in the first round of the NBA playoffs as a number four seed, thanks to the Pacers losing to the Nets last night. Super cool. Even though the Celtics lost, which super sucked. I don't know why I'm saying super so much, but so be it. Celtics are currently 48-33. and 33. Last year, they were 55-27. and 27. This is actually the first season in the Brad, Ste- the Brad Stevens era where a team has not improved on the amount of victories from the previous season. Fun little fact for you. Should we be mad about it? Eh. Should we be frustrated about it? Yes. Absolutely. But it's okay. But what we need to focus on right now after the Orlando Magic loss last night, is Jason Tatum has a shin contusion. A little nervous. Might just be shin splints. Might just be a bruise. So be it. Don't play him on Tuesday. NBA playoffs start this upcoming weekend, Saturday or Sunday. That's when the Celtics will be playing their first game at TD Garden. We don't have that information yet. We'll probably get that late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. So stay tuned for that because oof, I'm very interested to see how many days off in between each game they have. Because usually the first round they try and drag out where it might be like Sunday, Wednesday, or it might be Sunday, Tuesday, and then they give the teams two days off, and then they're not playing until Friday, Sunday. So very, very interesting on in how that's all going to work. But Jason Tatum, shin contusion, basically the way I look at it is he has shin splints, So don't play him on Tuesday night against the Washington Wizards, which I'll give you a preview on later on in the podcast, and Marcus Smart. This is what's very concerning to me. Marcus Smart, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, has a strained oblique muscle, which is basically for a baseball player, the worst injury you can get. And obviously I went into a deep, dark internet hole to see how long the recovery would be. And it's either going to be one to two weeks or four to six weeks, depending on how bad it is. And then, after the game, Brad Stevens says it was just a bruise. So that's obviously better news than a strain. So how is Marcus Marcus Smart's oblique going to react this morning? Super important. Or later on today, very, very important. This team cannot lose Marcus Smart in the playoffs. They can't. If you guys remember last year, they didn't have him for a couple games because of that thumb injury. And it, it was scary because Marcus Smart is the heart and soul of this team, especially defensively. So the Celtics need to have Marcus Smart around. So I will try and keep you guys up to date on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on all the news, where whether it comes to Jason Tatum's shin or 
Marcus Smart's Oblique. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast or on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18. All right. And then for the last time this season, let's talk about the current drafts draft pick situation for the Celtics because yes it is important but we need to focus on the NBA playoffs right now and going to get Banner 18 so currently the Memphis Grizzlies have the eighth worst record in the NBA they're half game behind the Pelicans for the ninth pick so the way the ping pong balls fall the Celtics could get the ninth pick in the NBA draft but according to Adam Hinselback Heinzelback anyways the reporter named Adam from the Boston Globe, he is reporting that the Celtics do not want the ninth pick in any way, shape, or form. They'd rather have next year's pick for the Grizzlies where it goes 1-6 to six protected versus 1-9 to nine this year protected because they might be able to hang that over any trade bait possibly for Anthony Davis or another superstar trying to come to the Boston Celtics this summer if Kyrie Irving does leave. So let's just say realistically... The Celtics have the ninth pick, okay? And then the Kings have the 14th pick, the Clippers have the 20th pick, and then the Celtics are 22nd with their own pick. Now, every single week over the last three or four weeks when I've kind of given you players that the Celtics could draft, I've been looking at different mock drafts, you know, mynbadraft.net, tankathon.com, NBC Sports, CBS Sports, whatever the case may be. So this week, this is the mock draft that I looked at. Ninth pick would be Cam Reddish from Duke. Cam Reddish, in my opinion, as a Duke fan, had a very disappointing season for Duke. He didn't really shoot the ball that well, but he's a hell of a defender. He's long. Insert Jay Billis wingspan joke here. But he might be someone that can excel being on a, you know, coming off the bench for an NBA team versus trying to be the number three guy behind R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. And then at the 14th pick, you have Kevin Porter from USC. He's a 6'6 shooting guard who could be like the steal of the draft type guy. He's He's got like top five NBA draft pick potential written all over him. But this season at USC as a freshman, he had a lot of thigh issues and, oops, excuse me, it kind of held him back a little bit, so he really couldn't show his full potential. So keep an eye out on Ke- on Kevin Porter Jr. And, and where he goes. At the 20th pick, you have Keldon Johnson from Kentucky. He's a Jalen Brown type player, athletic freak, can jump through the building, but his shooting is eh. Obviously, Jalen Brown's shooting has improved throughout his NBA career so far, but coming in, the biggest concern about Jalen Brown when he came when he got drafted number three overall from California was his shooting. And then you have, at 22nd, 23rd, Trey Jones from Duke. But I I was reading an article, and it kind of brought up a good point. Should the Celtics take a risk on Carson Edwards, the kid from from Purdue who shot lights out? The kid looked like Steph Curry. He was an unbelievable shooter during the NCAA tournament. If you guys watched that Purdue-Virginia game, it was absolutely bananas how well he shot. I think he hit like eight or nine three-pointers. It was actually crazy. But even though the kid can shoot, he has more turnovers than he did assists in the NCAA tournament. Then you have Trey Jones, who only had one turnover in the NCAA tournament. So if I would rather have someone that can run an offense and protect the basketball instead of having more turnovers than assists. But that's kind of a little bit of the draft pick situation. Obviously, I'm going to have a draft pick special, and then I'll have a post-draft pick special of this podcast in June when the NBA draft is. Now, before we get into last week's recaps, let's talk about Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe, if you guys remember, signed a 10-day contract with the Celtics. He didn't play. 
Celtics didn't re-sign him after that. Then he decided to sign a 10-day contract with the Philadelphia 76ers, which means there's one spot open going into the playoffs. So who's it going to be? Are they going to bring in Thomas Robinson? Are they going to bring down P.J. Dozier? Who actually, P.J. Dozier, I have such a hard time saying that name. P.J. Dozier actually made third-team All-G League. So congratulations to him for playing with the main Red Claws. All right. Let's talk about all the Celtics games from last week. The first one, last Monday night at TD Garden, Celtics beat the Heat 110-105, to and it was literally just like the game in January where the Heat came to TD Garden, that random 6 p.m. start. They had a huge lead. The Celtics were up 21 points in this game, and they literally just let the Heat slowly and slowly and slowly creep back into this game. Starters had to come back in when they probably shouldn't have. Kind of like the story of the Boston Celtics team this year where you thought you could trust the bench. You really couldn't because the bench was not great in this game in any way, shape, or form. And yes, I do understand that Jalen Brown was out due to a back injury, and he's obviously one of the most, if not the most important piece coming off the bench for the Boston Celtics. But Gordon Hayward was okay. He only had 11 points. Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier shot a combined 4 out of 16. 4 out of 16. That's not going to help. You know, and we'll we'll talk about later on Marcus Morris and his shooting because his shooting better come back to life real quick because the way he's jacking up these shots, uh-uh, that, that ain't going to fly. And listen, stand by your man Marcus Morris right here. I'm here. But hey, hey, bud, you, you, you need to shoot better. Okay? You, you, please, take a step in if you need to. All right? Anyways, but the rebounding is what made me very, very happy about this this victory. And I'm not going to get in-depth into any of these recaps like I usually do because the focus is giving you guys a preview of the Pacers series coming up. But the team rebounding in this game made me very, very happy. The starters had a combined 37 out of the team's 49 rebounds. And if the starters, those five guys, can get 35 to 40 rebounds a night, oh, I'm in. Very, very important. If Baines can rebound the way that he did, if Kyrie and Horford and hopefully Tatum can get aggressive and get some rebounds in there too, that's going to be huge. for Jason Tatum being physical in the playoffs, I'm telling you folks, is going to be vital. Vital, vital, vital. It's going to be very, very important. Now, Wednesday night, Celtics go down to Miami, beat the Heat 112-102, to and the great part about this game is this was the first time in the quote-unquote Big 3 era, the Big 3 being Horford, Kyrie, and Gordon Hayward, all scored 20 points or more in one game. First time ever. And does it suck that it took two years to happen? Yeah, but guess what? That's okay. That means things are improving, and you want to be improving and like riding some positivity, riding on some good basketball heading into the playoffs, and that's what the Celtics are doing. Gordon Hayward had 25. Kyrie had 23. Horford had 21. If those three dudes can put up those numbers in the playoffs, huh, huh, I love it. That, huh, just thinking about it. Ooh, give me the ooh, goosebumps. Give me the chills. I love it. That is what is needed. Aaron Baines, guess what? He had another double-double, which means at this point, two out of his last three games, or, yeah, two out of his last three games, he had double-doubles. He was fantastic rebounding the basketball, especially against a good rebounding team in the Miami Heat. I was also very happy, more than I thought, with this win because no Marcus Morris, no Jalen Brown. They could have folded and just been like, hey, you know, let's just focus on the Pacers game. It's going to be fine. We'll let this one slide. And they didn't do that. He didn't do it. And... 
I am a little nervous about Jalen Brown's back, and I understand that he played last night against Orlando, but back injuries in the NBA are no joke. No joke. It it kind of scares me a little bit, but not as much as Marcus Smart's oblique, to be honest with you. But the one one last thing, now that I'm thinking about it, I am pretty sure that the bench did not have any turnovers during this heat game. Let me let me just check this out real quick. Yeah, the the bench did not have any turnovers in this game. Now, can we rely on that going to the playoffs? Absolutely not. Absolutely the F not. But in this moment, the fact that the bench came out, no turnovers, delightful. Great stuff. Build off of it. Build off of it. Now, because I was so impressed with certain people's performances this week, let's get into the stud and dud of the week right now. And now, it is time for the Celtics stud. And the Celtics dud of the week. Okay, this week's Celtics stud and dud of the week. Before I give you guys the Pacers recap and I stuff your face with Gordon Hayward's cool little history night in Indiana, let me tell you who the stud is. Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward, once again, back-to-back weeks, is your stud. And if you have anyone else that should be the stud, please email me, bannerbanterpodcast@gmail.com, so I can email you back and tell you that you're wrong. Because the stud this week is Gordon Hayward, without a shadow of a doubt. Guys, the Celtics are 17-4 and when he scores 15 points or more, and it's 8-2 and on the road. 8-2 and on the road when Gordon Hayward scores more than 15 points. So uh, NBA All-Star who's finally getting his groove back, can score 15 points or more on the road and the team's 8-2, bring on the playoffs. Bring on the playoffs. And for all those people who were commenting all season long about get rid of Gordon Hayward, he sucks. I can't believe we paid him all this money. Do you have anything to say? Do you? Because I'm right here. I've been standing by Gordon Hayward all year long I've been driving that bandwagon and sure we've had a couple flat tires on the way no doubt about it it's been frustrating but as long as Gordon Hayward like I said all year can start playing well before the playoffs watch out watch out now you guys want some more fun little facts about Gordon Hayward the Celtics are 6-0 and when he scores more than 20 points Six and zero when he scores more than twenty points, and then he's tw- the Celtics are twenty five and four when he shoots better than fifty percent from the field. So if he takes good shots, Brad puts him in good spots. He plays with some of the starters, and then is the leading guy with the bench. Guess what? The Celtics are really good when Gordon Hayward plays well, and right now Gordon Hayward's playing very well at the right time. So let's be happy about that. So back to back weeks, your stud. Gordon Hayward. Let's go. Now, the dud is Paul Pierce. Yeah, I know. I would take a bullet for Paul Pierce. If someone went to go shoot Paul Pierce, I'd jump in front of the bullet and die for Paul Pierce. I love Paul Pierce with every bone in my body, but let's be realistic. This whole who had a better career, Paul Pierce versus Dwayne Wade debate, it was cool, funny to see on Twitter. It was kind of sad at the same time to see how many people bashed Paul Pierce like he you know, isn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, hasn't scored more than 
well, I think he has like 25,000 points in his career, second all-time leading scorer and one of the best franchises of all time, that being the Boston Celtics. And, you know, the numbers don't lie. Yes, Paul Pierce has scored more points than Dwayne Wade, but yes, Paul Pierce has played more games than Dwayne Wade. At the end of the day, Dwayne Wade had a better career, and I have no problem saying that, and we all need to admit that. Sure, did Paul Pierce not have the talent that Dwayne Wade had? Sure. You know, Antoine Walker in his prime was very good. He was like a 21, 22-point, 8-board, 4-assist type of guy, which is, you know, you'd take that any day of the week in this NBA that we're playing now because obviously early 2000s NBA and late 2010s NBA is a lot different. But Dwayne Wade had a better career than Paul Pierce. It's simple as that. And it's not a bash on Paul Pierce. I would do anything for Paul Pierce. It's just Dwayne Wade had a better career. And to be honest with you, Dirk Nowitzki had a better career than Paul Pierce and Dwayne Wade. So that's that. So that's the conversation. Now, let's talk about the huge, and I mean huge win, last Friday night in Indiana against the Pacers. The Pacers did not score more than 30 points in a quarter. That is how you win a playoff series, Boston Celtics. God, that game got me so juiced and so amped and actually made me think, start thinking very positively about this team. More, To be honest with you, more positively after the plane ride. You know, the West Coast plane ride, we thought the team was going to flip the script. And I told everyone, eh, it's cool, but pump the brakes a little bit. And I'm glad I said that because they didn't play that well afterwards. But they played physical. And that's what you need to do in the playoffs. And I was so pumped and I loved it. Now, with that being said, Darren Collinson didn't play in that game. Darren Collinson is a very important piece to what the Pacers do. He's a very good point guard. Corey Joseph started. Corey Joseph is is a solid NBA bench point guard. You know, he played for the Spurs for a little bit. I He played for the Raptors for a little bit. And yeah, he's good, but he's not Darren Collinson. So... Maybe a little bit of an asterisk on this game, but end of the day, the Celtics went in there and absolutely destroyed the Pacers, and that's what I love because then that also gives them confidence in this upcoming playoff series that they know that they can win on the road against this Pacers team, and I'm all for that. The best part about this game, Gordon Hayward did some things. Gordon Hayward did some things that didn't happen in a long, long time. He is the first player to go 8-for-8 from the field since Kendrick Perkins did in 2009. Gordon Hayward is also the first player in Celtics history to go 9 of 9 from the field since Robert Parrish in 1990. And he's also the first Celtics player to shoot 100% from the field with more than 20 points since Kevin McHale did it in 1986. That is delicious. I will eat that up. Nom, 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 nom. All day. You got to be kidding me. Now, as much as we want to talk about how great of a game Gordon Hayward had and how he didn't miss and he was on fire and he attacked the basket like that and won mid-fourth quarter where he just put his head down, went up, oh man, and he finished. I thought the bench was going to erupt. And by the way, if you guys can find a replay of this game in any way, shape, or form, check out Marcus Smart late in the fourth quarter. When good things were happening, Marcus Smart would turn around and start yapping at Pacers fans, having a good time, not like the Russell Westbrook situation in Utah, but actually having fun. So the entire bench is cheering for the players, but Marcus Smart's turning around and yapping at Pacers fans. It was awesome to see. But the thing that I really and truly loved about this game was Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum 
He didn't shoot the ball that well, but Jason Tatum took 19 shots. That made me smile. If you guys remember last week, I talked about how Marcus Morris should not be shooting more shots than Jason Tatum. Now, with that being said, Marcus Morris took the second most amount of shots on the team, which is fine. But Jason Tatum took 19 shots. He was very aggressive. He played 34 minutes, he was a plus 15, and he went to the free throw line four times. And if you remember, Paul Pierce and myself talked about if <laughs> Paul Pierce and myself, like we had a conversation together. But if t- I agreed with Paul Pierce that if Jason Tatum can go to the free throw line six, eight times a game, he's going to be an all star. We can all agree on that. And he went four times. Baby steps. We can do it. We can do it. But games like this can really get Jason Tatum's confidence back. If he can get you 22 a night and Alan Kyrie can get you a combined 28 points and Gordon Hayward doesn't miss from the field, good luck beating the Celtics in the playoffs. But I think we can all agree it's not going to be very consistent. But if those four things can happen, I know that's asking a lot, but if those four things can happen, if Tatum can score like 20 Hayward can score 20, and then you get at least a combined 30, 35 points from Horford and Kyrie. That's that's the scoring that we missed in Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavs after Jason Tatum posterized LeBron James. That's the type of stuff that we'll miss. But I fully believe that the second quarter of this basketball game is the best quarter, the best second quarter on the road that the Celtics have played in the bat, in the Brad Stevens era. The Celtics outscored the Pacers 34-20. to They were up eight in the first for a little bit, and then they were down three at the end of the first. The ball movement was really, really good at times in the first quarter. It was zipping around like there was no tomorrow. And then Kyrie made a couple tough shots, and then everyone just started standing around and watching Kyrie. And I don't blame him. Kyrie is an amazing thing to watch sometimes. But that is something that concerns me for the playoffs, where if Kyrie starts to get going... Guys are just going to be like, no, hey, do you, boo-boo. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. And that that can't happen. That can't happen. Kyrie needs to involve everyone. He, he they. It's infuriating, but he really needs to involve everyone. But this second quarter, guys, it was just great to see. They only took five three-pointers, okay? And then this is what happened when they went out on a little... A little run here and really extended the lead. They took so many shots under 12 feet and good things happen. So it started off, Hayward makes a nine-foot jumper. Then Tatum dunks it. Terry Rozier hits a three. That's fine. Hayward layup. Hayward free throws. Tatum hits a layup. Tatum hits some free throws. Tatum seven-foot shot. Tatum 12-foot shot. Tatum free throws. Kyrie three throws. Al makes an 11-foot jumper. Kyrie makes an 11-foot jumper. So again, Take a step in. Attack the hoop. Take better shots, smarter shots, closer shots, and your guys are going to be okay. And I think another thing that really kind of made me smile just a little bit, because I'm not trying to smile too big, because I, I understand how inconsistent this team can be, and I understand that they've won five out of their last seven, and that's what you need going into the playoffs. But I also understand that just because they've won five out of the last seven doesn't mean they can't lose five out of their next seven. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you lose a couple games in a row against this Pacers team, they'll beat you. There's no doubt about that. But I was just very, I was just very happy that I didn't feel that uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable, but just not like that uncomfortable going into the fourth quarter when the Celtics were up 20. 
Maybe that's what this team needs. Just saying, hey, we're up 20, and maybe instead of giving up a huge lead, we can add on to it, and that'll be key. That'll be key. And then real quick, last night, the Magic's game. The Celtics lose to the Magic, who did clinch a playoff spot with their win, so congratulations to them, and also congratulations to the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, I understand they're in our division. They've beaten us, of what, three times this year? Or tw- no, just twice. But the Nets are a cool story. You know, I'm, I'm happy that they made a playoffs. I mean, they were so bad for so long. Danny Ainge literally screwed them over. And so good, good for the Nets. You know, hopefully they can win a game or two in the playoffs. I don't think they will. But, you know, if they do, it's a, it's a cool little story and a nice little building block for the Brooklyn Nets, 1,000%. This game got out of hand real quick late in the third quarter. The Hornets, the Hornets, the Magic got like a 14-point lead, and Jalen Brown did did some nice things. Jalen Brown shot them back into this game to kind of get the lead down to two or three, and then Kyrie came in and did some crazy things that you hope to see in the playoffs. Just completely dominated, took great shots, w- wasn't playing too much hero ball, but I didn't know why he, why he was out there. Tatum got hurt, Smart got hurt in this game, so why why put him out there? Like, Al Horford didn't play a lot in the fourth quarter. If I don't think I saw him play at all in the fourth quarter, and that's fine. And Daniel Tice did some great things defensively. He had a couple very, very nice blocks, which is nice to see that maybe his timing's there defensively down in the post against some big guys. Like, he was defending Vujicic, and Vujicic probably has 50 or 60 pounds on him, and he did a great, great job. But the issue that I have with Daniel Tice is the Celtics had four possessions in a row, and three out of those four possessions, Daniel Tice took three-pointers. That's not ideal. Now, I understand it's a game that doesn't matter because the Pacers lost to the Nets before this game started, so Brad didn't really need to go all out for it. But obviously, you want to win every game. But it wasn't meaningful. So, with that being said, sure. Should... (laughs) Like, should we be pissed that Daniel Tice took three-pointers? Or three three three-pointers in four possessions? Yes. But... The game didn't count, so I guess it's okay. I'm actually furious about it. (laughs) Like, absolutely insane. Jalen Brown, again, like I said, shot them back into this game. He was great, especially his first game back from his back injury. That was good. And Terry Rozier also played very well in this game, I thought. He, He had a decent game. He's been out sick for the last couple games. But if I can just get another hoop, maybe another sister, too, from Terry Rozier, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And Brad Wanamaker, he also played like six or seven minutes, and they were perfectly fine six or seven minutes. He took like one or two shots, you know, kind of like what Shane Larkin did. Ran the offense, didn't turn over the ball, took his opportunities when he needed to. Perfectly content with how Brad Wanamaker made. And I'm not going to be surprised if Brad Wanamaker plays those four or five minutes in the playoffs. Like, you know, Kyrie needs to come out with two minutes to go in the first quarter. They throw in Brad Wanamaker, and then they start the second quarter off with Terry Rozier. I'm not going to be surprised about that in any way, shape, or form. All right, I'm not going to give you a preview of the Wizards game on Tuesday night down in Washington, D.C. I'm not going to do it because it's going to be a pointless game. The starters might only play 10 or 12 minutes just to get their legs under them. And to be honest with you, I don't think the starters should play in this game in any way, shape, or form. Like, let Brad Wanamaker and Time Lord and Yabaselli play all 48 minutes. I don't care. Rest everyone. Literally, you could not have Al Horford and Kyrie Irving not play on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or maybe even Saturday. So they literally wouldn't have to play for like five or six days. That's basically like an an extra all-star break. Al Horford's knees need it. Maybe Kyrie's 
conditioning needs it. Marcus Morris needs need it. Jalen Brown's back needs it. Obviously, strained oblique from Marcus Smart that I'm literally freaking out over. He needs it. So don't play anyone. Don't play anyone, Brad. Okay? So let's preview the upcoming series for the Indiana Pacers. This stuff that I looked into, folks, we're going to get real nerdy. We are going to get real basketball nerdy real quick. I'm going to give you a breakdown of everything that I think you need to know about this Pacers-Celtics series coming up that the Celtics now have home court advantage of as a four seed. So basically, for those of you who don't know how the NBA playoffs work, the first round will basically go like this. Two games in Boston, two games in Indiana. If necessary, one game in Boston for game five. If necessary, one game in Indiana for game six. And then if necessary, game seven will be a TD Garden. So that's how it all works. All right. Now, the Celtics, 28-3 and this year at home, including two wins versus the Pacers. The Pacers were 18-22 and on the road, and they got one more game left on Wednesday night against the Atlanta Hawks. So the Pacers are not that good at home. The Celtics are pretty good. So again, this is why home court advantage was needed. The Celtics won the season series against the Pacers 3-1. to Great, right? Now, if you remember that Victor Oladipo shot in November when they lost 102-101, to if he didn't hit that shot, the Celtics season sweep over the Indiana Pacers. They can beat this team. They can beat this team in four or five games, I think. I think the way the team's been, it'll probably go six. I think, yeah, I'll make the prediction right now. The Celtics are going to win this series in six games. Now, can they do it in four? Absolutely. Can they do it in five? Don't tempt me with a good time. I really and truly do think that they're going to do it. Now, the other three games that they've beaten the Pacers this year, 117-97 to was the most recent game, 114-112, to and then 135 to 108. They can really and truly destroy this team. Now, for these playoffs, the starting five for the Boston Celtics will be Kyrie Irving, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, and Aaron Baines. And they could probably play four or five guys off the bench as well. You got Marcus Morris, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier. It'll be interesting to see how many minutes Daniel Tice gets. So keep an eye out on that. Or if Thomas Robinson signs with the team, how many minutes he gets. Now, the Celtics starting five, you have Darren Collinson, Wesley Matthews. Why can't I think of the young guy's name? What is the young guy's name? Thaddeus Young, Miles Turner, and Brogdon Bogdanovich. I love saying that, Bogdanovich. Now, they also probably play four or five guys off the bench as well. You have Sabonis, TJ Leaf, Aaron Holiday, Corey Joseph, and Dougie McBuckets, a.k.a. Doug McDermott. Now, I'm gonna <clears throat> the individual stats for the Indiana Pacers, there's one thing that really sticks out, and I want to see if you, if, if you can notice it. Their top three scorers per game, you know, if one's dropping 18.5, whatever the case may be, is Bogdanovich, Sabonis, and Miles Turner. Their top three shooters based on field goal percentage, Sabonis, TJ Leaf, and Miles Turner. Their top three three-point shooters, and this is very important, folks. Bogdanovich, Collison, and Dougie McBuckets. Bogdanovich is a 42% three-point shooter this year. That's really, really, really good. Kyrie, who is leading the Celtics in three-point percentage, minus like Daniel Tyson, Brad Wanamaker, because they don't take the same amount of shots as Kyrie does from three this year, is 37%. So it's literally 5% better. 
The Celtics cannot let Bogdanovich get going from the three-point line. I've said it in every single preview this year before a Pacers game. I've said it in recaps, especially after two Fridays ago down at TD Garden where he hit like four or five three-pointers. You can't let this dude get going, okay? Now, Sabonis leads the team per game rebounding with nine, Miles Turner with seven, and Thaddeus Young with six. Keep Miles Turner and Sabonis off the boards. That is the second most important thing. Don't let Bogdanovich going. Box out Young and Sabonis and Miles Turner. Now, Collinson, he drops about six assists a game. Then you have Corey Joseph and then Sabonis again. Now, do you guys get this little theme here? Every single stat minus three points. Out of four out of the five stats, Sabonis is one of the top three guys on this Pacers team. And he he comes off the bench. That is huge. You don't see that a lot in the NBA, that the sixth man of a team, minus you know Lou Williams, leads the team in scoring, field goal percentage, assists, rebounds, etc., etc. Sabonis, controlling Sabonis off the bench is key. Whether that's Aaron Baines, whether that's Daniel Tice, whether that's Horford, Morris, whatever the case may be, you got to be physical with him. He's one of those guys that thinks that he can be physical. And the second you hit him in the jaw, he's not going to be physical anymore. So this is going to be very interesting to see if Aaron Baines plays about, let's say, the first four or five minutes in the first quarter for most of these games. And then he leaves. You bring in Jalen or Gordon Hayward. And then the second Sabonis comes in, three or four minutes later, Baines comes back in and he starts defending him. That's going to be very, very important. I mean, this guy gets 14 points, nine boards a night. The, almost a double-double off the bench. Aaron Baines, Al Horford, focus on this dude. Now, you can't. You also have to put that amount of focus on Miles Turner because Miles Turner is one of those guys that can absolutely go off and get like 25 and 12. Not a problem because Miles Turner is a pretty good three-point shooter too. Focus on Sabonis. That's going to be huge. Now, what can the Pacers do well? These are some of the stats the, that they can do well based before the they played the Nets last night, okay? They are top three in steals in the NBA. They have 8.7 th- steals per game. But guess who's fourth right behind them? The Boston Celtics at 8.6. So control the basketball. Protect the basketball. They're top four in field goal percentage at 47.5%. That's very good. Almost 50% from the field on average. The Celtics are 14th at 46.5. Now, I know that's only one percentage less, but that one percentage less can go a long way. They are top five in three-point shooting at 37%. Very good. The Celtics are seventh at 36.5. Top three points in points off turnovers at 19 a game. That means when they get those eight or nine steals that they have per game, they turn those into points. That's basically on average about two and a half, almost two and a half points per turnover. That's huge. Absolutely huge. The Celtics are fifth overall at 18.1. So again, they're really good at taking the ball away from you. They're really good at scoring after they take the ball away from you. And most of the time, those are three-point shots. You know, 2.5 rounded up, it's really three. Okay? But here is what is absolutely insane and is going to be vital, 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 vital 
offensive rebounds is going to be a huge factor. If the Celtics can keep the Indiana Pacers off the boards, the Celtics are going to win the series. 27% of the Pacers' rebounds are offensive rebounds. That's 14th best in the league. The Celtics are 23rd. That's terrible. That means they're basically like the 8th or ninth worst team when it comes to offensive rebounding in the league. That's really, really bad. Overall, the Pacers have the 13th best rebounding percentage in the league. What I mean by percentage is every single time a shot's missed, what is the percentage? What are the chances that they can get a rebound? So 13th best overall when it comes to rebounding the basketball, 21st for the Celtics. Rebound, rebound, rebound. I've talked about it all year. I talked about it in the Heat game or the Heat recap. Team rebounding is going to make or break this little run to Banner 18 for the Boston Celtics. Without a shadow of a doubt, rebound the goddamn basketball. Please, please, just rebound. Rebound, Sabonis, don't let Bogdanovich get going. Those are my three keys, I think, from the Pacers' side. Now, from the Celtics' side, they're going to have to do a lot of things to win this series. But they're not like hard things to do. For example, in, in no order, Kyrie needs to be the number one guy. We know that. But he can't play too much hero ball. I don't mind a little bit of hero ball from Kyrie, but bud, if you miss three or four shots in a row, on to the next. You know, like Swizz Beats, like Jay-Z. On to the next one, okay? Thanks. Horford and Baines, like I've said, be physical. Control the boards. Do it. I know you guys can do it. Please, just do it. Tatum, he's going to need to want the ball more. Now, do I need 19 shots from Jason Tatum every night like I got in the Heat game <clears throat> down in Miami? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, the Pacers game last Friday? No, I don't need 19 shots from Jason Tatum. What I need is like 19 points and 7 boards. That's what I need. So let's get that. Just a couple games. I'm not saying Jason Tatum needs to do that every game. Just give me a couple games where Tatum has like 19 and 7. You know, maybe game 1, game 2, game 3, game 4. Yeah, just a just a couple games. I think Tatum is, I think, just like I said a couple Fridays ago or a couple podcasts ago, Bogdanovich versus Tatum is going to be huge in this series. That, that could be factor number four in this series behind control the boards, Sabonis, and Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich versus Tatum. It's going to be huge. Gordon Hayward. Listen, bud. Keep doing you. I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know if you're making your wife really happy because they went down to Miami to see your parents because I follow your wife on Instagram because your daughters are hilarious. Hashtag daddy's always happy. But whatever you're doing, Gordon, keep doing you, boo-boo. Because if you can get us 16, 17, 18, 20 points a night, look out. I'm in. Marcus Smart, get healthy, bud. Get healthy. Don't force shots up. Shoot your open jumpers. Your shooting has been great this year. Knock on wood. Keep doing you, bud. Okay? Just keep doing you. Marcus Morris. I understand you're coming off the bench now. But let's just stick let's just stick to like eight or nine shots a game. Okay? I don't need 13 from you, okay? If the first couple shots don't fall, attack the basket. I think Marcus Morris went to the free throw line like six or seven times in the magic game. And he's a great free throw shooter. So I'm in for that. So attack the basket. Take that step in. Please. We don't need forced three-point shots from you. Okay? 
And <clears throat> Daniel Tice, just don't do anything stupid like taking three three-pointers in four possessions. Don't do anything like that. Just defend well, do your job, call it a day. Finally, Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown, come a little closer, okay? Please, just come, just come a little closer. You guys need to bring your magic back from last year. Both of you have had rocky seasons, to say the least. Jalen hasn't been improving, and I'm somewhat satisfied with how well Jalen Brown has played over the last, let's say, six or seven weeks. Terry Rogier, on the other hand, has sucked all year. Be aggressive. Don't force. Find your spots. Remember, you guys have a lot of money on the line, okay? So impress a team by being smart, making the right plays. You're not going to impress a team by playing like an idiot and not finding your open teammates. For example, Jalen Brown, you had an opportunity to throw Aaron Baines an alley-oop late in the third quarter against the Magic. And you just didn't do it. You threw up a stupid floater that hit the back of the rim, and you didn't score. Throw the lob. This is like, it doesn't... Jalen, pass the ball a couple more times, and remember, your stats don't matter anymore. If a team can see that you are a seventh guy, sixth or seventh guy on a team that won an NBA title, you're going to make a lot more money that way. And Terry Rozier... Bring back some of your magic, bud. I know. I know what's in you deep down inside. Maybe you've been playing playing all of us a fool all year. Bring back that magic from last year. Bring us back Scary Terry. But more importantly, Terry Rogier, I'm going to grab the microphone right now. If you don't defend any better than you have this regular season, go to hell. Just defend. Defend. Defend better. I'm not saying you got to be Marcus Smart. I'm not saying you got to be locked down defense. Just please defend better. Please, because Corey Joseph is an NBA veteran, and he will take you to school. All right? That's that. That's your preview for the, the Pacers series. I think the Celtics can win this in five or six games. I'm leaning more towards six. But that's about as in-depth as I can get for the Pacers-Celtics series coming up. Ball movement is also going to be very important for the Celtics, like I mentioned when they played them last Friday. When Kyrie starts playing a little bit hero ball, he's still got to be able to move it. Rebounding, 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 Sabonis, Bogdanovic. Those are what I think the Celtics need to do. And if I had to pick a fifth, it's going to be Terry and Jalen. Can they bring back that playoff magic from last year? Now, what I'm going to be doing for the podcast coming up is I'm debating if I'm going to do a podcast after every game, you know, 10, 15 minutes, nothing crazy, not these like 45 minute episodes or stuff, 10, 15 minutes, if that, recapping the game, telling you what the Celtics should be doing for the next game, or I might just be doing a recap after games one and two, then a recap after games three and four, and then I'll do a recap after game five, recap after game six, whatever the case may be. That's the game plan for right now. All right. Finally, we haven't done a banner banter investigation yet, and I don't think I'll be doing banner banter investigations after every single game because that's just a lot, and it's just not needed because, let's be honest, come playoff time, we don't care about old Celtics players. But this week's banner banter investigation, I want to talk about a couple guys who, or one guy, who played for the Pacers and the Celtics. There's been a lot of guys. Jermaine O'Neal is obviously a prime example. But 
This one that I want to talk about this week is going to be very interesting, I think. And I think a lot of Celtics fans, whether old or new, forget about this one Celtics player. So roll the music. We now interrupt this podcast to bring you a very special banner banter investigation, Celtics Unit Report. All right, this week's banner banter investigation. I'm coming from the top rope. I know WrestleMania was last night, so I'm coming from the top rope. Scott Pollard. And by the way, Scott Pollard, the Scott is spelled with one T. So S-C-O-T, Pollard. Scott Pollard is a former Indiana Pacer and also a former Boston Celtics player. He also is the only person to be teammates with Paul Pierce both in college and the NBA. He went to Kansas from 1993 to 1997, and he was drafted 19th overall in the 1997 NBA draft by the Detroit Pistons. He averaged a riveting four points, four boards, and less than one block per game. Great stuff. He only played one season for the Pacers, and then he got traded to the Atlanta Hawks for Christian Leitner, one of the best Duke basketball players of all time. Then, literally after he got traded... He was waived by the Atlanta Hawks, and then he signed with the Sacramento Kings. And that Sacramento Kings team he was on was fun. That was like Mike Bibby, Bobby Jackson, Vladi Divac. Congratulations to Vladi Divac for making the Basketball Hall of Fame this year, the 2019 class. Peja Soyakovic, great name. Hito Turkoglu was on that team, and Chris Webber, who I think it's absolute in plain English bullshit that Chris Webber hasn't made the NBA Hall of Fame yet. I'm sorry, the Basketball Hall of Fame yet. Absolute bullshit. But after playing four years there, he was part of a huge three-team trade. The Kings got Brad Miller, the Pacers got Scott Pollard and Danny Ferry, and the Spurs got Ron Mercer and Hito Turkoglu. So Scott Pollard and Danny Ferry, congratulations, Pacers. Wow, what a terrible trade. Now, he played three years for the Pacers, and then he played one year for the Cavs after that. Then he signed with the Boston Celtics for... Crazy $1.2 million in August of 2007 and was a part of the 2008 NBA championship team for the Boston Celtics when they raised Banner 17. He was a fan favorite to the point where he actually had his own segment on the show Celtics Now on Comcast Sportsnet or NBC Sports Boston, whatever the hell you want to call it. And it was called Planet Pollard. And I watched some of the segments on YouTube and maybe you guys can do it after you listen to the podcast. It's actually kind of funny. He was pretty funny. He would basically give tours of local places that he visited. (laughs) I mean, it was just terrible, terrible television that you had to watch. Now, once his career was over for the Celtics, because, guys, he only played five total games for the Celtics and zero games in the playoffs. So, pretty funny (laughs) to, to think. Now, after his career was over, he played for the Sacramento Kings. I mean, not played. He did commentary, color commentary for the Sacramento Kings, the Sacramento Monarchs, which is the WNBA team, and also he did some stuff for the Indiana Pacers too. But what I found very interesting is that he was actually in a movie. He he actually played a role as a star murderer in a movie called Axeman at Cutter's Creek. I haven't watched it yet. I don't know if it's even available on Netflix, Hulu, but I'm going to find it and I'm going to probably watch 10 minutes of it because it's probably terrible, terrible. And then I had no idea about this, but Scott Pollard 
was on the 2016 season of Survivor. Who knew? Not me, but it's I'm not shocked by it because, I mean, Scott Pollard's a weird guy, guys. He really is. But that is this week's Banner Banter Investigation. Just an old-school Celtics player who won a title that not a lot of people know about but also played for the Indiana Pacers as well. And that's it for this week's edition of the Banner Banter Podcast. I know it's a long one, so I appreciate all you guys listening, whether that's on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, Podbean, SoundCloud, whatever the case may be. Find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. Like I said, playoffs are are here right around the corner. I'm going to try and keep you guys up to date as much as I can in any way, shape, or form about every single game, maybe even every single possession for the 2018 NBA playoff run for the Boston Celtics. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys all soon. Hey, Marcus Smart, please be okay. Please be okay. Talk to you guys soon. Toodles and noodles, X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.